Hi, this is Feed, Play, Love, the parenting podcast that you can fit in your pocket. Short, informative and interesting interviews about everything from toilet training to how emotion coaching works. I'm your host, Siobhan Hunt. The next interview is one of the diamonds from our archive. Enjoy. The key to our children's future prosperity is to be found in their toddler brains. That's according to our next guest, who's written a book called The Toddler Brain, Nurture the Skills Today That Will Shape Your Child's Tomorrow. But this isn't just another parenting book to add to your long list of things to feel guilty about. It's not about becoming a tiger mum or excelling at helicopter parenting. Dr. Laura Janna is a paediatrician. She's the Director of Innovation at the University of Nebraska College of Public Health, and she's the spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics. What she has to say is both hopeful and inspiring. Laura, welcome to Kindling Conversation. Oh, it's such a pleasure to join you. At the very beginning of your book, you talk about parents looking at the big picture of their child's life. Why do we need to stop and actually think about this question? You know, when I get asked about what should parents read and do and stop what they're doing and look at something else, I had three children in three and a half years. And to say, do anything besides just getting the clothing and the crying and the car seats and the diapers and the feeding done was a big task. You know, you you mentioned at the outset here, this isn't just another parenting book. In fact, my hope is that with this book, it gives parents a strategy that they can use to sort of approach the bigger picture world. So that's where I do want parents to take a moment to consider what I've put in this book, saying the, the world around us has shifted. And if we're trying to aim our kids in a direction of success, we need to stop and think about, wait, which direction do we need to be heading in? And now you've got the, the, the ideas and what skills they need. Now you can go do it and you can make your decisions and you don't have to live with a parenting book in your back pocket. And that idea of uh, big picture, you mentioned the term ready for life adult. And I have to admit, so my children are five and three and I'm constantly trying to, as you say, juggle that balance between um, just making sure they're fed and clothed and, you know, happy, and also thinking about their resiliency and, and things like that. But I very rarely think of them as how they'll be as adults. What do you see as our job in terms of preparing them for the real world? Well, you know, here's what's really striking. And in fact, it was what compelled me to write this particular book. You know, I've written books on newborns and helping parents get their kids to eat healthy and potty training and things. But what really struck me was when I started realizing how much research there is about the brain development, the skill development in the first five years, and the long-term impact that those skills will have, I said, okay, time out, right? I'm the person who says, don't tell parents they have to do one more thing in those early years if they're really busy. But if you stop and think, wait a minute, what you do in those early years will impact your child for the rest of their life. And this, again, this is not meant to be guilt-inducing, make parents even more scared than they already are about parenting. Because the good news is I'm telling parents the talking, cooing, singing, reading books to babies is not just warm and fuzzy, something fun to do each day. I'm a big advocate of reading books to babies, right? 
but it all, you're literally connecting neurons in your baby's brain. And what's striking is that the skills now that are being identified in the business world and innovation and entrepreneurial worlds, they are preschool skills. They are skills that take their roots from what happens in those early years. So it's not a guilt-inducing, be afraid if you don't do it. It's we have an incredible opportunity to really foster these skills that will, you know, just by doing the things that we want parents to be doing anyways – um, that will really impact their future life success. We'll get on to um, some of those things that form those neural connections, apart from what you just mentioned there, in a moment. But, Laura, I'm really curious about this future world. People do talk a lot about jobs for the future and, and what that world will look like. In your mind, what are the sorts of skills you think our kids will need in the future? Sure. And, you know, I tried to condense this down as much as possible. Say, well, first of all, let's just think about the world and what's going on in it. And if I just say some simple concepts, it's globalized, it's complex, technology is making things change at an incredible pace, and we have an unbelievable amount of information at our fingertips. If you just consider those things, back when I was in training, when I was in medical school, I memorized facts better than anybody right? And that made me seem smart. And granted, it was useful. But now you can have access as many, to as many facts as I do if you're holding a smartphone in your hand or if you've got a computer. So what happens in a world where we've got technology and we've got access to facts all over the place? Now it becomes who can use those facts, apply those facts, who can adjust quickly because the world's changing very quickly. When you talk at them very concretely, if I say to you, you know, when I was growing up, what job do you want to be in? I want to be a doctor. Here's the course you take, the classes you take, the major you major in in college, and there you go. There's your course. But what happens in a world where it's been estimated that 65% of jobs that third graders today will work in in their future do not currently exist? Now what skills do you want them to have? And that's where a lot of thought is going into when technology comes in, when robots take over things. What skills are going to be so valuable? doesn't matter what your job is. Those skills, to get to your point now, are creativity, communication, collaboration, critical thinking, adaptability, the ability to fail and learn from your mistakes, and certainly all of the skills that have to do with relationships and perspective taking and empathy things that have largely been sort of, I don't want to say discounted, but when you think about when, you know, school success or your child is really achieving, we think of that in terms of worksheets and, you know, grades on tests, as opposed to the ability to read people being as important as the ability to read a book. And that's where the shift in thinking, realizing these skills are powerfully and becoming even more powerfully important than they've ever been before. I grew up in a similar way as yourself. So when I did my final leaving exam at school, it was all about learning by rote. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about the early years, the first five years of a child's life and why that is so important, considering they're going to, most children will go into an education system that is probably going to teach them similar things to what we learned in terms of learning by rote? Well, the good news is, on the one hand, you know, I do a lot in the world of innovation, including I attend some of the really big, you know, international discussions around innovation in education. And part of what compelled me to write this book was that in the education world, the pediatric world, the parenting, 
I'm seeing some very significant shifts and shifting away from that. So first of all, I think there's hope that people are realizing that if what you need at the end of all of this in sort of the workplace and, and everywhere else are these skills that I just mentioned, creativity, communication, collaboration, the ability to ask good questions, not just know the answers, that we're starting to see people making really big efforts to shift that in the education system. What's striking, though, is that hasn't necessarily carried down or people don't realize how much that should carry down into the first five years. At the same time, that the brain science, right down to really intriguing neuroimaging capabilities, are showing us that we know that those neurons connect at a very early age and that, in fact, things like executive function skills, which I always say are very conveniently named, right, because it implies in all of this, if you want to have sort of executive skills, but technically speaking, they involve cognitive flexibility, impulse control, and working memory. And we know that those have a rapid, one of the most significant rates of increase in development of those skills occurs between age three and five. Now, again, having said to you, I'm a parenting realist. I really don't like to make people sort of have their eyes glaze over and get bored when I'm talking. Let me give you an example. A two-year-old. Most parents I know would think it was very inappropriate to stand a two-year-old on the side of the road and say, don't run into it, and then leave them there, right? We know that that child is going to be at risk of being very seriously harmed, run into the street. By the age of five, lots of children have learned this idea. You don't cross the road without holding someone's hand. It's dangerous. Now, that doesn't mean that they've fully mastered it. And I use the example of until you put their puppy on the other side of the road, and then they run out to go get their puppy, Right. But what happens there, that is a clear-cut example of impulse control. Your impulse is to go run, but your something tells you, stop, use your skills, think what's going to happen, there's danger, don't do it, I was told not to. Those skills don't exist in two-year-olds, I mean, you know, very minor, and they rapidly improve between age three and five. So if we say that we value things like, you know, impulse control and executive function skills and the ability to stop and think through our actions, we have a huge opportunity to cultivate those skills during their most rapid and sort of a sensitive period of development. It's not middle school STEM education. It's not just the teenage years. And, of course, they become somewhat of an issue because they don't fully develop until, until kids are in their 20s. But that window of time between age three and five for things like impulse control is really significant. And even beyond that, it has predictive value of future life outcomes. Because if you can stop, think, stop and think through your behaviors starting at that early age, think about what that means when you say, should I study for my test or should I not? Should I experiment with unsafe behaviors or should I not? That becomes predictive of future life outcomes. And that particular skill to actually stop and, and consider what you're doing, how can parents foster that? Because I admit I've, I've spoken to lots of people about emotion coaching and that kind of thing, and my daughter's just about to turn five and um, not quite sure she's got the hang of it yet. <laughs> well, sure. And see, so part of the message here is, first of all, if you have a two-year-old, don't have unrealistic expectations, right? If your child hits or bites. It's not that you don't want to teach them, but to get angry with them is the equivalent of getting angry with a two-year-old who doesn't know how to tie their shoes. Two-year-olds don't know how to tie their shoes. It's not developmentally expected. So part of it is being understanding of what that developmental progression is. And in each of the chapters in the book, I help parents take a closer look at the, the standard developmental milestones of early childhood 
in the context of these skills. What I also do is say there's lots that parents can do because parents in those early years are particularly influential. Babies are watching you. They have neurons in their brain that are literally like mimicking your movements even before babies can actually move. So they're watching you. They're learning from you, whether it's studying your emotional reactions or what you do. The other part of this, so, you know, first of all, just demonstrating the behaviors you want to see is really foundational. And again, very simple concept, but really important. But the other one is help kids think of strategies. So the example I like to use is, you know, we all would like to eat chocolate chip cookies for dinner. Right? <laughs> and, and, you know, there was an airline in the U.S. here that used to give out hot chocolate chip cookies. And the flight attendant would come by and say, would you like a hot chocolate chip cookie? Now, I tend to eat very healthy but I love hot chocolate chip cookies. So I started saying, the question isn't, do I want one? The question is, should I take one, right? Now, if I'm starving, I've eaten really well for the day, but I, you know, and I really love this cookie, that's great. But if I have, you know, I've had, you know, I've been traveling, I haven't had a healthy diet, I'm really stuffed, but I love cookies, what's going to make me say, it's not whether I want it or not, I shouldn't have one. Helping kids think through those strategies, you know, three, four, five-year-olds, sometimes it's, get it out of your sight, right? Same thing with, you know, if you don't want kids to eat, you know, junky food, don't set it in front of them when they're two because that's a really uphill battle, right? They, they see it, they want it. Um, the other thing is, well, what if you did this? What if you put it aside and then you do this? Or what if you colored a picture? Or what if you, you know, tell yourself a story? Do these things that help you kind of resist temptation, if that's what we're talking about, or help kids start to learn a little bit of delayed gratification, which is, you know, and this gets back to your introductory point about helicopter parenting. If we do everything for our children the minute they want it, that's a really good thing when they're two days old, right? I mean, it's a really good thing. It's their sort of survival instincts, right? Your baby needs to be fed. You feed them. If they cry, you tend to them, and you should. But somewhere between two days and two years, you want to start making some progress towards I'll be there in just a second, right? And you have, you know, instead of the instant anything goes wrong, the instant your child wants something, the instant they want to tell you something, a one-year-old cannot control their impulse to tell you something while you're talking to somebody else. But a four or five-year-old can. And unfortunately, what happens is a lot of times as parents, we forget to transition to the, now you need to wait a minute, wait your turn, you know, here's what you can do. Why don't you do this? Why don't you write down your idea? Or why don't you, you know, just wait when so-and-so is done speaking? There's a lot of those sort of instructional things you can do to help kids start to learn those skills. Oh, there's so much. I could talk to you all day, um, Laura, but I'm going to have to wrap up. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Oh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. That's Dr. Laura Jana. She's the author of the book, The Toddler Brain, and it's published by neurobooks.com. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.